Welcome to episode 13 of the At-Bat Baseball Podcast presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez. Miles is out for the week. He is on vacation in Cancun. I'm not jealous at all. Uh, but we're enjoying. We're joined instead by a pair of War Media members. We got Chris Pennant. He's been on the show before. And we got Gabriel Wilkins. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it, man. It's a pleasure to be here, Saul. All right. Good to see you again, man. Good to see you, too. All right, so uh, we were talking a little bit before we started, you know, uh, just to get a little bit of an intro here. Like, uh, Gabriel, I, I said, first time on the show, uh, you're a White Sox fan. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about that, man. Tell us a little bit about how you became a fan and, you know, why you love the White Sox so much. Well, I mean, it all started for me when I was little, man. You know, my mother was the vice uh, assistant to uh, Eddie Einhorn from 1992 so I want to say 2002, she worked at the ballpark for 10 years, um, had a big-time role there. I got a chance to meet a lot of the players, Frank Thomas, Maglio, Donez, guys I grew up, Ray Durham, Chris Singleton, so many others. Like, I, I had a front-row seat, you know, Carlos Lee. I was at games almost, like, practically every week of my childhood. So I pretty much grew up in that ballpark and, you know, just following the team. To me, they were always, like, the more competitive team, even when they didn't win division you know, championships, they always put a solid product out there. And I was always a big fan of the American League because they had designated hitters. You know, the National League, you know, you had pitchers back into, you know, recently. So that was really how I became a fan. And I, the 2000 team really kind of caught my eye because that's when I was finally coming into my own fan decision of baseball when they won the Central. So I, I really been a fan for all my life. You know, it's, it's never really been a question. You know, granted, the semi-Sosa era, you know, had a big impact on a lot of us youth uh, in Chicago, and a lot of my friends became Cubs fans because of it, but I was always a big fan of the Sox. To me, they always had the cool colors, they always had the harder uniforms, and I mean, I, I've been rocking with them ever since. No, yeah, that you made a good point, man. With the with the uniforms, like I'm not even gonna lie, like even as a, a Cubs fan, like I don't I don't mind the Cubs uniforms, like the home Cubs uniform is my favorite personally, but the like the white Sox, like the black and white like it's just always been like pretty badass like just colorway and like like you like for me like i do like the throwbacks like the the, the ones that say socks with like the batter 83 like, I would, yeah like i wouldn't mind like like socks going back to that but at the end of the day i don't think you guys can go back to that just because the new the like the the, the logo you guys have now is like so like i mean like i've seen so many celebrities with that hat so it's like I mean, it's pretty iconic now. So, it's, and also not to mention the the South Side jerseys. I, I think are, in my opinion, still number one. Like of the rankings of the of the connect jerseys, is for me number one is still the White Sox one. Uh, the Rockies one. I don't know what you guys thought about the Rockies one, but I thought that one that one for me now is like top three. Um, but yeah, no, those the, those are pretty uh pretty sick in general. But Chris, how you doing, man? How uh, happy to have you on a second time on the show. Appreciate it, man. Like I said, cool to come back. I don't have a nearly as good a story as Gabe, um, <laughs> but I was I was in the uh, the guaranteed rate company box over the weekend, and I was telling my friends and some other people who were there. Um, we we'd save the ticket stubs, so my mom has a ticket from '92 against the Twins, and I'm fairly sure that's my first game, uh, or maybe second game going to a Sox game, and the first time I really remember is when she was working for Ameritech. So you know it's back then. And she got <laughs> tickets in the skybox then. 
and I was all excited, like, oh, you know, I go and see baseball and the White Sox. And so that really stuck with me. And the next time we went, we were going into the 100 level uh, because she refuses to sit in the upper deck still, even though they've, they've uh, kind of lowered the degree of the, st- <laughs> of the seats. <laughs> and I was like, why are, we going to our, why are we going to our box? Why are we going to our seats? She's like, those aren't our seats. We, we just, that was like a one-time thing. And I was like, but we got to go. That's where we sit. And so I was a little spoiled early on, but uh, yeah, it's always, I love going to that ballpark, man. And being back in the box is always the same feeling going in. If you get the chance to go to a box, you get to go up on the elevator, they're pushing the button for you. They're like, oh, you know, here's your, you get the carpeted hallways and everything. I was was talking to people in there. You feel like you come in there, you kind of feel like, hey, you know? Like royal, like white tax royalty in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you feel it. They they ask you like, "Hey, would you like the dessert cart to come later?" You're like, "Huh? The dessert cart?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, "All I can have? All right, I'll right. take it." <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. No. Yeah. I have yet. I have yet to do a box in either Wrigley or White Sox. So I'm like, definitely want to like whenever I do that, it's gonna be awesome. Cause I, like, yeah, the. The food is the number one thing. I'm just like, man, the, they show like the, they'll cut to like the, at Wrigley, they'll cut to the, you know, the people like eating like their Italian beefs and their hot dogs. And I'm just like, man, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that looks awesome. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll start things off with, with the Cubs actually. Uh, we'll, uh, I know you guys, we, you know, we made a point that you guys are both White Sox fans. I'm a Cubs fan, but we'll, we'll get the, we'll get the Cubs out of the way. We <laughs> nice and simple, nice and easy, nice and clean. Uh, we know they're uh, 28 and 46, not looking too good. Um, they actually, they, uh, lost another series to the pirates, uh, which I mean, I'm getting used to at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're in, in total, like for the year, they're five and eight against the pirates. I don't understand, uh, like what's going on there, but, uh, they did end up winning a series against the Cardinals, which was nice. Like I've been telling like some of my friends, I'm like, you know what, if the Cubs are going to suck this year, like. As long as they they play competitive games against the Cardinals and Brewers, you know the top, uh, you know the 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 cream of the crop of the Central, um, you know. So that's why I'm not you know not not that down about the week in general. Uh, but uh, overall for you guys, uh, what are your thoughts on not necessarily the Cubs situation? I mean the Cubs situation, you know, it it is what it is. They're in rebuild mode. But uh, over the last week, like for example, that Cardinal series. Uh, what are some of the bright spots that you guys saw for, from your perspective as Sox, man? Uh, just, just from my perspective, really, uh, Keegan Thompson, is, his season has been really solid. I know they're looking at him as the building block mm-hmm. on the pitching staff. And he's been he's been that guy. I remember the game uh, last year at Comiskey Park where he I think he pitched on Saturday night and shut the Sox out 6-0. And he looked really good in that game. I'm, I, I want to, I'm fairly sure that's correct. I don't think it was Alec Mills. I'm pretty sure Keegan Thompson had the game um, where the Sox got shut out after that wild game on Friday night that ended up like 17 to 13, I think it was. And he has the highest ERA plus on the pitching staff, which is a good sign for them. I'm, I'm a little surprised to see Christopher Morell's batting average around 250 because just I feel like every time that I happen to tune into a Cubs game, he was on base. And I've seen my man Gene from the big sports really talking about his on base streak. And he is a he's just a bright spot in a season that's otherwise pretty, 
pretty pretty lousy for them. So um, I didn't get to catch most of the Cardinals series per se, but I know those two guys just over the long haul in the season, those are two guys that Cubs, can, Cubs fans can hang their hats on. Yeah, Keegan Thompson, I, I know he was a guy that they had to bullpen for a little while, and they were trying to figure out what his role was going to be, either as a, as a bullpen arm or as a starter. But I think he's really impressed a great deal uh, as a starter, and I think he's found a role there where he might be able to submit himself as the face of the future for the Cubs franchise if he continues to, you know, work outings the way that he has. Um, he did have an impressive outing against the White Sox. On the south side, as Chris alluded to, against Johnny Cueto, I think he had a six-plus innings shutout of baseball. And, um, you know, you, you got to tip your cap to young guys like that trying to find their role in this league as pitchers, which is oftentimes hard to do. I like Chris Morrell as well. I think he's a nice piece. Um, anytime you can take a, a division series against a rival, which, as we know, the Cubs and Cardinals, two passionate fan bases, both, you know, got a love-hate relationship with one another, you, you, you take that, um, be it in a down year or even in a, a year where you're on the up and up. But I'm, I'm more interested to see what the Cubs' future holds with some of the guys that um, were on the 2016. You know, you've been hearing a lot of rumors and reports about Kyle Hendrick being in trade rumors. We know Wilson Contreras, you know, is looking for a new contract after the season concludes. So that's, that's going to be an interesting scenario. And even though no team – in the history of baseball has ever won a world series acquiring a catcher um, at the trade deadline. It's some teams that can hmm. use the service. And if you could get some assets for them and you trying to build your farm system up, like the Rickets have sought to do and they haven't hit, you know, they got rid of Brian last year, got rid of um, Rizzo, got rid of Baez. You can't help but wonder who's next, you know, because there's only so many of those guys still left um, from the 2016 roster. I'm on this team. Yeah, no, and and uh, to backtrack a little bit on the, um, because I'll actually ask you a little bit about the, uh, I'll ask you guys about the trade deadline, what you who you else think is gonna leave, but yeah, with Keegan Thompson, that's another, yeah, like, um, he was he's been pretty impressive, and and the thing is too is like I think if he would have actually had a, a really great, cause he um had a start uh, yesterday against the Reds, he gave up four runs. And uh, I think if he would have actually, you know, had maybe like another, you know, six shutout or even six giving up one earned run, I would have maybe pushed a little bit more of the Keegan Thompson uh, for NL All-Star campaign. But I think it kind of fell out like he was kind of on the bubble. Now, I think after that start, he's probably not going to be in the running. But, yeah, he's he's one of those guys that, yeah, coming out of the pen, uh, I think his numbers look better from out of the pen than as a starter. Um, but yeah, for the Cubs, uh, he is one of their top starters in general. Um, and he's, he's, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it does, it's one of those things that I do like to watch him start and it's like, gives, gives, you know, you know, uh, it, uh, gives me some optimism him and, and guys like Justin Steele, um, like that, that, that type of stuff, like Caleb Killian too, like those guys obviously still need some more development, but seeing that is, is obviously definitely a plus and, and Kyle Hendricks. I mean, he's been, I mean, just like really bad over the last like year and a half and he had a, a great start on Friday night um against the Cardinals so that was I mean that was cool to see. I mean and he has he has a, a I think like a 14 and 3 record or something against the Cardinals so he owns them uh in general yeah. but um it is uh something you know aside for sore eyes is probably an understatement there 
Um, also another guy that uh, has been uh, nice to see kind of the way he's played overall in the season when he has played because he's been injured for a little bit is Nico Horner. Um, I saw I was looking at his Savant page too. Like I was like, man, he's really looking. He's looking good in general. As much as the results, I know the OPS isn't there quite yet, but he's uh, he has an expected batting average in the 96th percentile. Now and not only that, but his speed, he's in the 92nd percentile for for uh, for his speed, and he has uh, eight defensive runs saved, which is third in the majors amongst shortstops. So he's uh, he's got his bats improving, and he's one of the most elite shortstops in the game now defensively. So. Um, when you're looking, when you're trying to build a team, I think that's one of the important parts is to get a shortstop. So hopefully his back can come around a little more than you know his defense has. Um, obviously Ian Happ uh, is a guy too that um, has been fun to watch this year, um, and it's he's also another guy too that when he does play, he does he does uh, um, have an, make an impact almost every game like when he's healthy. But he has he's had some trouble over the years of either staying healthy or, or just staying on the field in general. Like I know he had one year where they sent him down to the minors and stuff like that to start the season, but um, he's another guy that might, might go as well. I think, I think it's probably the right time for him just because his stock has never been uh, this high. Um, but yeah, you know what? Wilson's yeah. Wilson's probably the one that I, you know, can almost guarantee he's going to be gone. Um, and I've always, I've heard murmurs about like, you know, maybe the Astros, maybe even the Mets, um, but you know what? I want I wanted to get you guys' opinion on who else you guys and you and I know uh, Gabriel. You talked a little bit about Kyle Hendricks and, and stuff like that. But who do you guys think is under the radar? Like, is is it a knee and hap or or is it more of like a bullpen guy like Scott Afros or maybe even David Robertson? Because David Robertson is also a guy that's in in the running to be to be an an NL All Star because um, he's got a great ERA and you know and and so and he's a guy that for sure uh, teams w- w- uh, would want because he got experience in the in the postseason. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I want to get your guys' opinion on that. Robertson is definitely a name that I can see being in the mix for some teams, as you alluded to, Saul. You know, he has postseason experience. He's won a ring with the Yankees. He's been in big-time, high-leverage situations, be it as a setup man and as a closer. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if a team that was looking for some open help would, would be interested in inquiring for his services, uh, for sure. I think Wilson Contreras, yeah, you brought up the Astros and the Mets. I think a team like the Tampa Bay Rays might be interested in his services as well. Granted, they have solid catching from a defensive standpoint, but they're not getting any offensive production from um, too many of their catchers. They the same for Houston as well, but Tampa Bay is a team that in a tough American League East, they're going to need all the competitive advantages they can get. And if you could get him even for half a season and not have to give up much for you, from your farm system, a couple pieces, you know, by the wayside, you, you that might be a move you're willing to do if you're still in the thick of things in a wild card race, which they are. So I, I can see a few teams making some moves and, and seeking to inquire with the Cubs about a few of their guys as they seek to contend and elevate going into the um, dog days of the summer. I agree with that. Uh, Tampa Bay has Mike Zanino now, who's a solid defensive catcher and really one of the um, – premier sabermetrics guys of the 21st century. And I say that as he is a three true outcomes type of player. But Wilson Contreras can give you more than that. And he's, I think, a better defender than Zanino is. So Tampa Bay would really like to have a guy like that. Um, really, they need what they can get from their team and their uh, to get more out of their fan base now. Because they're in a bit of turmoil just with location, whether they're going to stick around Tampa Bay, St. Petersburg, what have you. So picking up a guy like Wilson Contreras would really, I think, boost their playoff run. Uh, David Robertson, having seen the David Robertson experience as a White Sox fan, is really interesting that he is having such a good season. Um, I think 
my first instinct would be to say because there's less pressure on the way that, with the way the Cubs are playing right now. He is just limelight's not on him. The spotlight's not on him like it was on the south side when he was brought in to be a big name, big time closer for them and was okay. So yeah, I definitely think somebody's going to go after him at the trade deadline. I'm not exactly sure who. Uh, with the, I know we haven't talked about the Bryce Harper injury yet, but the Phillies are always so inconsistent. And I think they're also ran in the NL East again. Otherwise, I would say that he would be a guy to go back because they had him before. He wouldn't be a bad guy to go back to again since he's can be a dependable closer like you showed him this year. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if Hap would get picked up, even though I love I love the what he does as a switch hitter. But I'm not quite sure what team would really want to go after him. Um, who would want a guy as a, a third or fourth outfielder? So it's it's tough to see what the Cubs have in the way of sellable assets, other than the two guys that we already mentioned. Yeah, with uh, it, it's funny though with the Ian Happ. I have heard uh, like I've seen like Yankees Twitter talk about how he would be nice, but. The thing is, I think that's what was more when, like, because Gallo obviously hasn't been playing up to his standards uh, by a long shot. Uh, Aaron Hicks also was cold for a long. He's hot now, but uh, that, that's probably what's quieted down Ian Happ to the Yankees type thing that I've heard. It's nothing crazy, but I just think he would fit kind of there, especially playing with Rizzo, too, and just like that porch, you know, with Happ, too, with the power he's got, I think would be, you know, pretty, you know, Nice see there, but yeah, I think if if any if there's one guy that stays, because I know a lot of people like in Cubs Twitter, you hear you see it and you hear it, and it's like the, they they want Wilson to stay, they want to extend, they they like extend Wilson, but I don't know, man. I I, I don't, even with the DH, I know he's a great hitter, but I just I don't know, I just don't see him being as good as he is now. Like when we're good again in like three years, like I I don't I don't know, I I just don't see it. And even if he is like, what you know, what are we gonna get out of one 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 good like, what are we gonna get Wilson out of you know one good Cubs team again? Like, I don't know. I I just rather sell high on him. If we keep any of the guys, I hope it's Ian Happ, just because uh, I feel like he wouldn't be like he wouldn't like want that much money, you know. So I I don't know. I think if or I'm kind of hopeful that he would stay because I feel like he could be a very important part to you know the next good Cubs team just because he's versatile and I think he's on the upward trajectory. But yeah, it's going to be a really interesting trade deadline um, with the Cubs, especially for the second straight season. I don't know about as crazy as last season, just because they, you know they they really got rid of all the All Stars last year. But this year, it just looks like one. But yeah, and, and, and kind of shifting a little bit more to the NL Central talk. Um, me and Miles talked about it in the or have talked about it in the past couple of weeks of just how weak the just like honestly not even just nl central but just midwest baseball this year has been weak even like you know regardless of who's in first in the al central with the twins or, or even the the guardians are getting hot but like it's just it has been pretty lackluster but with the nl central we'll talk about the al central in, in a little bit but with the nl central are you guys convinced with those teams like the cardinals and brewers and if so what like what team do you think is going to win that division it's a toss-up it's a toss-up to me because it's like it depends on the week and, and, and the matchup, but it's obvious that it's going to come down to those two because a, a lot of the, you know, the most other three franchises in rebuilding mode. You know, you got the Pirates trying to figure out what they're going to do with their young pieces. You got the Cubs trying to figure out who's our future pieces of the franchise moving forward and who's not going to be a part of our future moving forward in the long term. And then, you know, you, 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 you got the Cincinnati Reds who, 
you know, as we know, you know, you got young talent like Hunter Green and whatnot leading the way, but it, it, it's it's a lot of moving pieces there and, and stuff like that. And some of those pieces they've already gotten rid of and Eugenio Suarez and, you know, the Jesse Wrinklers of the world, but it's only more to come. So to me, it's, it's between Milwaukee and St. Louis for the Central and the National League. And whoever, you know, wins out head-to-head, that's going to be the team that represents the Central Division. But like you said, um, Midwest baseball has been very lackluster. Yeah, and it, it sucks because this is kind of what we expect outside of that year. The Sox won uh, really the mid-2000s where the Sox and the Tigers and the Twins were all pretty good. Um, the Sox went to the, the Sox won the World Series, the Tigers went to the World Series, and then with the Twins always ran into the Yankees for some reason. But that was really the last time that I think that you could count on the division to be really good uh, than when the Tigers went in 2010. So there's always just this element of, of mediocrity or just, you know, lackluster, some, in some way, shape, or form, lackluster baseball. And I don't know why it is in the Midwest. I don't know. Not all these teams are small market, right? Like the Pirates, yeah. The Royals, yeah. But Detroit had the has still has the Illich money. The White Sox, we know what the deal is. Um, even Milwaukee is is gone hunting and found quality players that they have managed to hold on to for the most part. And so I don't know why. And and the Cubs. As much as I detest the Cubs, I'm sorry, Saul. I, I just I'm not a, that I, I took it. I took a very um, personal rigidity to this one team uh, fandom idea. But the Ricketts just outright lied to their fan base after that World Series run, because they said we're going to stay competitive. We're not just going to go in and treat this as we did it, and now we're going to try and save money. And they've spent all this bread building up new Wrigleyville and taking it out of the team. There's, there's, there's no excuse for that in my mindset. Never mind their political leanings, which are also detestable. But it's a real shame to see both of these ball clubs underspending when they don't have to. Because if you get better teams, you'll see like what happened in 06 when the Sox won 90 games and didn't make the playoffs. And then the Tigers went to the World Series you get teams that can compete with the East Coast and West Coast on a regular basis. That's what I thought the Cubs were heading for, and they, they really were that for three years. And that's what I thought the White Sox were supposed to be heading for now, except we have this dud of a season so far. So it, it really annoys me that we can't get quality competition for even like a 10-year period uh, now that baseball has been freed from the reserve clause and all of that. It's like every owner says that they're, they're calling poor when they're not. No. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I always tell people because of like, for example, like Moneyball with the A's and the Rays, like those are, those are two teams that have some of the richest, if not the richest uh, owners in the game. And yeah, they, they just pinch pennies like every year. And and it, what makes it even worse is the fact that like, uh, the, well the A's won for for a good amount of like the 2010s, um. So you know, and and the Rays obviously have been competitive for for you know a decade now. But it's like that's 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 how, that's what makes it even worse because the 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 owners are like, well, guess what? Like you know, they're, they're 
they're winning, you know, they're they're making it to the playoffs. That should be enough. Like we'll we'll stay there. We'll obviously they're like it proves we don't have to spend money is is probably what they say. Um, and yeah, it just makes it worse. But yeah, we'll, we'll yeah like in in the, in the they keep saying you know especially for the Cubs in the Cubs uh, uh, part of this is that you know oh they'll they get the money they'll spend it you know either this year or next year. But yeah, it's just one of those things that you just gotta wait. We're gonna have to wait and see if you know they're bluffing again because um it's just uh it's been a roller coaster and uh and the thing is i like i like jed hoyer i don't have a problem with jed hoyer but it's really just obviously the rickets obviously is probably the only negative part of the whole front office which is a huge part of it uh not to downplay it but uh <laughs> but yeah so it, it'll be it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens on that end of things now moving over to the south side of chicago uh we'll stay on that uh midwest uh topic uh the white Sox, 35 and 38 uh, you know, I talked a little bit about the Sox last week and, and how they were, you know, kind of trending up despite the series loss to the uh, Astros. I mean, just, you know, that's probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the AL. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But the the they they actually beat the Blue Jays in a series two games out of three and then lost the series to the Orioles three games out of four, which is probably not as 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 <laughs> I, I personally don't think it's as as shameful as other years as much as the as much as the White Sox you know should be better than they are obviously uh but the the Orioles uh I'll, I'll talk a little about about them in a second but first that that uh the Blue Jays series I thought was was good to see another another series win for the White Sox there I mean uh they had that gutsy seven to six win in, in 12 innings um and then also um the fact that they were able to come back on Jordan Romano in that one game two um, and then in the finale that they, you know, they had the chance of sweeping, but um, Bo Bichette and uh, Alejandro Kirk, you know, they, they hit some bombs and, and were able to salvage that one. Uh, but yeah, that um, for, and we'll go in order. We'll, so we'll talk about that Blue Jay series first. Uh, what did you guys think about that? And uh, just about how they've played against, uh, you know, AL East teams in general. The Blue Jay series is a real missed opportunity because the Sox started out June or at least got into the second or third week of June really hitting better as a team. I pulled up some stats uh, a week or so back. Andrew Vaughn was lighting it up. He didn't have a lot of extra base hits, but he was really smoking in June. Luis Robert had turned a corner seemingly. And the Sox at the beginning of the season, outside of that first week, had just, they weren't able to hit anything. Then in May, they started getting hits, but they couldn't score. Then in June, they were actually scoring runs for the guys that they were putting on base. And then they just took that huge step backwards. They got to 500, got, um, and then lost four in a row, the last game of that series against Toronto. And then those first three games against Baltimore, it looked like a carbon, looked like a, a microcosm of May and April, where they scored, I think, five runs over three games, if that, and before they got the win on Sunday. And of what turned out to be a close game, somehow, again, it's it's... It's annoying because they looked like they were starting to, to figure it out. They swept Detroit. They put up a bunch of runs on the Tigers. You know, they got smoked by Houston coming into that first game, but then beat them seven to nothing. And then we had a lot of close wins and really, you know, three, four run losses. So I can't, I can't figure this team out. And it's, it's hard to keep faith in this season when the results keep going as they have and the season is going longer and longer. I know there's a lot of games left. They, they legitimately are. There's more playoff spots this year. But as my friend Val asked me, you know, do you think this team can get to the playoffs or do you think that they can make a run in the playoffs? 
And the, for the answer to the first question is still yes. The answer to the second one right now is no. And I don't know if it'll ever be yes. Yeah, that's well said, Chris. Um, you know, when I think about the month of June and the Blue Jays series, you know, you, you take two out of three. But when you think is the month of June comes to a close, all the missed opportunities in games. Like, you know, it, it was times this in the month of June where the White Sox was scoring seven-plus runs in consecutive games, but they couldn't find a way to muster up wins. You know, I think back to the game. It was on a Saturday. It was a Saturday afternoon game against Texas, and the Sox had like a six-plus run lead. And you're thinking, you know, this is this is it. You know, the offense starting to click. Things are starting to gel. Guys are getting hot. A.J. Pollock's back coming along. You know, Tim, Josh Harrison's coming along. Like, even though Tim Anderson was out the lineup and Mendick was, was playing pretty well, you know, prior to going down with a torn ACL injury, unfortunately. I, I, you know, you, you were thinking that things were on the horizon. But then bullpen mismanagement, situational uh, hitting, needing hits at timely and key situations not coming through, it leaves you with so many questions about this team. And granted, they're only six games back in the Central and with a July that will feature a lot of Central Division opponents um, coming into town and them going on the road to play against the likes of a Cleveland. You, you, those are games now that you have to win and when you in series that you have to win. And some, some of those series, you got to sweep. Just to even put yourself truly back in the thick of things um, the margin for error is slim. I, I, I do think that the ball club has been more competitive. I think they showed a great deal of fight last night and a come from behind win against Anaheim uh, or the LA Angels. You know, Josh Harrison going two for four, hitting a home run. Big home run. Luis Robert coming through with some timely hits as well. Nabreu and Moncada as well. But like, man, it, it's still a lot to be desired with this group. And if, you know, every time you, you, you find yourself watching the game, you can't help but say, Man, what would it be like if the Sox played in American League East? Because um, it, 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 it would be a grind. That's for sure. It's, uh, it's, this is a really incredible stat. The White Sox are hitting 257 with runners in scoring position. It's real solid. It's real solid. With runners on second and third, they're hitting 344. And an OPS over 1,000. With the bases loaded this year, the White Sox, in 57 at-bats, the White Sox are hitting 175. What? Mm-hmm. 175. Like it's, and everybody knows it. And you're at the ballpark, and the bases are loaded. People are, like, chewing their fingernails off. My, my girlfriend, I picked up season tickets with her this year, and we had, we were sitting watching one game just on game day, and they, I think they grounded out with the bags full, or Luis Roberts struck out. And she was like, at least they got the bases loaded. And I was just like, they always have the bases loaded. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what always happens. It's unconscionable that, that is happening in today's Major League Baseball, that a team is doing that badly with the bases full. Yeah, and, and I think uh, is kind of looking at the Orioles series, too, as uh, Gabriel made a good point. It's like, yeah, what if the White Sox were in the AL? He said that, that, that would be pretty rough. I mean, see, the thing is with, like, as much as, and I said before, like, the White Sox should be able to beat a team like the Orioles with the talent you guys have on the field and all that. But one thing I did look at when I was looking at the Orioles in general is the fact that they have 
uh, the second most wins amongst uh, their AL East opponents uh, behind the Yankees. So they've they have uh, 15 wins against AL East opponents, and that's only that's only second to the Yankees. So they've been playing those teams like those pretty competitive teams in the AL East really well. Actually, still in the wild card race, just as the White Sox are. Um, you know, so they're young, exciting team. But yeah, it's 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 it is games the White Sox should be able to win. And, you know, you know, it's it's it is I can only imagine the frustration because of just the fact that, you know, not only the injury, the, the injury talk is probably overplayed. I get it. It's probably like, you know, there's, it's not about that's not even an excuse anymore. But overall, I think when it, when you see this team and what some of the positives that you'll be able you, you'll be able to look at is like, you know, how how, how good Kopech's been. How good, you know, uh, how much, of, how much of a stopper that Dylan Cease has been. But you know, one guy I did want to talk about in general uh, when we're talking about a little bit of the positives for the White Sox is Johnny Cueto. I mean, that guy has been um, like amazing for the for you guys like so far. And like, how much of an impact has he been to that rotation? And not only that, but what I'm wondering is how he fits into a healthy White Sox rotation. Huge. Johnny Cueto's been big time. And, you know, that's the he's one of the few guys outside of Dylan Cease on the roster who you can count on giving you six-plus every single start. Even if he's giving up runs, he knows how to get himself out of situations. Um, his wind-ups and his delivery, you know, his ability to change in a Lewis Tiant type of way, it keeps hitters off of balance, and it, it plays a, a vital role. And I always was adamant about him being the fifth starter before the season started because there were so many questions about Dallas Heichel and, and so forth and whether or not he would be able to string together um, a quality of consistency in a Sox uniform following his first season in 2020. He obviously did not. And now that Cueto's been in the mix, he's been perfect. I mean, his start against Houston, you know, to go seven Trump and, and, and shut down that offense, which is one of the best in the American League, as you alluded to earlier, saw. So, you know, that, that was a hell of a performance, especially coming off of a game in which, you know, the Astros put up like 10 plus runs in the, in the bottom of the seventh and just put the game with eight, you know, that Friday night. So, you know, you, you need starters like a Johnny Cueto, a guy with postseason experiences. We know won a ring in Kansas City, been there, done that um, to help this team elevate and still stay within the thick of things in the center. Yeah, Cueto's been gigantic. I didn't have a lot of um, – I didn't think that he was going to be that big of a deal now you're signing to a minor league contract pretty much, even though he has experience and even though he's always been a tough pitcher. But he's come in and he's given the Sox a spark that they really desperately needed. And I know a lot of this is from a fan's perspective, but it matters is from a fan's perspective. Because like Gabe said earlier, Sox fans are a temperamental bunch at best. And they don't like to be there when the ball club is losing. They especially don't like to be there when the expectations are not being met and the ball club mm -hmm. is losing. So bringing Johnny Cueto in, who's held things down in that rotation while Lucas Giolito's had a rough patch and Michael Kopech is still in, the, he's still in the part of his career where he throws too many pitches. He doesn't hit the strike zone as often as he'd like. Having Johnny Cueto there might not have saved the season, but it's definitely kept, fans from just jumping completely off the ledge. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, that's true. I mean, Kopech, I think, is the best is still yet to come for him. I think he's he's only going to get better from here. Um, but, I mean, some of the performances he's had on, like, Sunday Night Baseball, I know the Astros one didn't necessarily go as, as you know, as he would like, but um, the the one, like, for example, the one he had against the Yankees and stuff like that, like, that's that's 
you know, that if you have that Kopech in the playoffs, I mean, a healthy White Sox rotation we all know is, is good. But, you know, one thing I did want to get you guys' opinion on that came out um, uh, was the fact that uh, how they were telling some of the guys that have been injury prone to go easy on, you know, getting out of uh, out of the box. Um, I, don't, I don't think they said who, but I think it's, I mean, I'm guessing it's like, you know, guys like Yohan Moncada and stuff like that, like, uh, to not go hard to first base just because of like the injuries they've had, uh, of those, of those rumors or what people have talked about, like, what do you guys make of that? I think it's fair, but I don't, that's not something that the team should have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the news with Brian Ball, the former Sox trainer, who's a legend that he was dismissed because of his sexual orientation because he's gay it's not a good look to have that alongside you losing guys to what um what you'd refer to as soft tissue injuries and i don't recall the Sox having this as an issue in the mid-2000s as much when they had dale torborg when they had herm schneider when they had brian ball so no matter what in the off season i don't know if they will Rick Rick Hahn says he reads all these letters, but I don't know if they will. They need to overhaul their training staff. They really do, because you can't lose guys to injuries that are avoidable. If you have collisions like what happened to Danny Mendick, if you have um, things like what happened to, I mean, you could avoid the Aloy Jimenez injury last year. You know, he just shouldn't have jumped on the the, the fence in spring training. But things that you can't avoid, those are, that's what's going to happen. Bryce Harper getting hit in the thumb with a pitch, things like that are going to happen. But guys running out ground balls to first base shouldn't be limping off the field. Even, even when Tim Anderson had that groin injury, something like that is, is at least somewhat preventable. And the Sox, no matter if they're underwhelming, part of the reason that they're underwhelming is because a lot of their key players have not been able to play for a good amount of the first half of the year. I just think it's a bad look from the timing standpoint of things. When that story dropped, you know, like you're you're in third place in the American League Central. I understand that you don't want guys being hurt, but you kind of can't manage conservatively this time of year, especially when the summer's heating up and you're six games behind in the division. I understand trying to preserve your guys and not playing guys sometime throughout pieces and stretches. But if Tim Anderson's out there, and he hits one, you know, into the infield like a short, and he knows he can beat it out. Fans want to see him beat it out. I'm sure his teammates want to see him beat it out too. Same applies to Luis Robert and all those other guys. You know, when those guys are playing full speed, to me, that's when they're at their best. And to me, what that report showed is, it made me ask, is this a team that's just going through the motions of wanting to look like a winner, or do they want to be a winner? And for Tony La Russa, an old school type of manager to be on the report saying that he's telling guys that, that kind of shocked me too. Because especially when you consider the type of team that he's managed over the course of his career, you know, his teams were always hard-nosed and tough teams, veteran-led teams, even though this team is much younger, you know, but they play hard. They got to keep playing hard in order to gain fan support and morale on 35th and Shields. That's why you see so many boobers. Granted, you know, the Baltimore Orioles, they do have a young competitive team. Allie Rushman is a future all-star in this league. Um, I, I really like his game a lot. You know, he, he killed the White Sox in that four-game series with his bat. And his defensive play is, is second to none as well. But I 
I, I think that is 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 it's just bad timing. And at some point, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to once they get especially once they get hands on deck. I don't care if they're 175 percent. Guys are gonna have to give it their all if they want to win this division. Plain and simple. Yeah, and it's like yeah, not only the timing, but it's like well, and I'm sure this hap- this happens with teams, and it's like, but the fact that it got out. Like it's stuff that shouldn't necessarily get out. Like you know, and uh, yeah, and just and just bad timing overall. And it's it's just one of those things where it's like, man, you, you see all all the dominoes falling and the booing and all that, and it's just like, uh, have they? I'm kind of wondering from the outside looking in is like, have they even considered letting go of Tony Larusa? I don't know. I, I my my guess is no, probably not. Um, and and I think I've told Crystal. I think the last time he was on, or or I mentioned it before in general. But I'm like as as much as, you know, I think the White Sox will get their World Series this decade, like with this with this team, is like I it's I don't think it's gonna be, I don't think it would be with Tony LaRussa at the helm. So um I think it's it, as much as it's like a tough pill to swallow for some fans, like it this year might, you know, even if you make it to the playoffs, but even just like a wild card series, um I, yeah, even even as, you know, as Chris said, kind of a little a little alluded to it before how you know, they, they can't really make a run right now. Um, it's still, I think, a positive in the end if you guys can, you know, get rid of Tony and then come back next year with a new regime and just kind of, you know, see where things go just because I think that's what the team needs. But who knows? That's all. I think that's a long shot with this organization um, uh, in general with, with what's going on with that and Tony. But kind of looking ahead now to this to this week or a little, a little bit about what happened on uh, Monday and Tuesday uh, against the Angels. Uh, and that series against the Giants coming up, but that the, the series against the Angels, uh, I feel like has kind of, uh, kind of been what the White Sox season, you know, has been kind of summed up the White Sox season, right? It's like the first game, uh, just got uh, just or just lost four to three, uh, Syndergaard outdueled Giolito, and then in game two, the bats came out swinging, and Johnny Cueto was, you know, Johnny Cueto. So, uh, what do you, what have you guys seen in this Angel series, and what do you guys hope to see for the rest of this West Coast series? Game two was good because they went down early, three home runs in the same inning. And my my thought, I haven't been watching a lot of Sox games over the last two weeks just because it shit's painful. I'll be I'll be quite honest with you. It's like it's it's like watching um oh there's a there's a TV host or a radio host in DC who a long time ago was talking about that Monday night football game where Michael Vick and the Eagles went into DC and just destroyed Washington. And he said it was like watching Joe, Joe Pesci watching his brother get beat to death in casino. And he couldn't do anything. That's, that's pretty visceral, but just watching the White Sox get leads and then give them up has been what it's like. Like that month, that Sunday game against the Orioles, I thought they were going to lose because they were in for the 4-1 lead and then the bases were loaded with nobody out. That Monday game, they took the lead. They took the lead on some good quality hitting and then gave it right back up uh, because who knows why Reynaldo Lopez is playing setup in the seventh inning. It can't be that. But yesterday's game was at least good because they didn't just knuckle under after going down 3 nothing. They came back. They hit the ball out of the ballpark for the first time in, what, 10 games? And they had Josh Harrison is finally starting to hit consistently. And Luis Robert, that was probably the, the best shining moment yesterday for me that gave me some hope. Luis Robert hitting a ball that made a pitcher just collapse on the mound. Because when he's right, he's hitting that thing five miles. 
And that makes the lineup so much more dangerous. So at least there was that. They need to win these series. It can't be about, um, you know, bright moments. They got to win series point blank period. But yesterday looked good. At least yesterday looked good. One thing that stood out to me is the resiliency the team has shown thus far on the West Coast road trip. You know, they they got down two runs, but it, on Monday night, but Giolito found a way to play through it. You know, and pitched well. Had his had his four seam working, had his slider working, and was mixing speeds. And I think as the game got along, he got better, which is a far cry from what Sox fans have seen from his previous five starts. I think the offense has come around, had some timely hitting. I think Monday night was a game that they should have won, won. Had it not been for support, you know, base running on Sebi Savala's part, after, you know, Josh Harrison hit one up the middle to give him a one-run lead, that could have been a, a rally momentum booster. And I think that's a game that they could have had. But last night was a great response from the team. You know, to give up three homers in the same minute, as Chris alluded to, I thought Johnny Cueto bounced back from that. And he said he was tired and didn't really feel at his best, but he didn't look that way as the game went on. You know, he got better and better. I think Josh Harrison coming through with some timely hits, he's really saved them big time. I don't think they went two out of three against the Blue Jays at home without Josh Harrison's play at the plate, as well as with his glove. Um, yeah. Uh, Moncada hit some big, had some big shots as well in his first game back. I, I, I like what they're doing, but tonight with the rubber match and Kopech on the bump against Shohei Otani, that's a game you you, you want to win, especially going into San Francisco with some momentum on Friday night. These ro- I, I think the White Sox played well on the road. And they, they they fare better on the road. It gives them a chance to really bond together as a unit and a group better. But I, I, I've been impressed with, with what I've seen through the first two games. You just got to finish the job. Yeah, and, and it, you know, you said this before, I think, uh, Gabriel, too, like the fact that before this West Coast series, or, or sorry, after this West Coast series, you know, they're really going to go through the gauntlet, the AL Central gauntlet. You know, they got the Twins for three, the uh, the Tigers for four, uh, the Guardians for four, so and the Twins for four to end the, the half. So it, these are important games, not only in not only for the season in general, but it, it, just for the confidence and 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 uh, you know for momentum. But um, yeah, for this uh, upcoming Giants series, I think it, it'll be another good test for the for the Sox. I think the the Giants are a team that you know surprise they still surprise a lot of people this year with how they're playing they got solid pitching obviously you got carlos you know former white side carlos rodan so it'd be cool to see if you guys face off with him uh, but uh yeah it's just another another test for the white Sox, a team that you know they haven't they haven't seen much of so um that'll be uh, good to see uh so like we said the white Sox are in third place as of right now um they got one more uh, against the angels and three against the giants over the weekend. Uh before we close things out, uh, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about a few things around the league. Um one one of the big stories uh over the past uh week or so has been the the Mariners Angels brawl. So, uh, I don't know how much you guys saw of it, but I've seen <laughs> I've seen I think I watched like both the broadcasts and then I watched like the you know they have that that John Boy breakdown. Uh, just kind of seeing you know, what what happened in general. I thought I thought it was one of the f- like funnier, one more wild brawls. Uh, what did you guys think? It was good. I'll let you take the game, but <laughs> it was good to see. I hadn't seen one like that in a while. Um, <laughs> and when I saw the suspensions come down, like that was that was crazy. 
that, that was real crazy. Like you got Rendon in there trying to trying to punch guys <laughs> and with a broken a wrist or whatever. Like that was it, it was a club on the wrist. Like that was crazy. Yeah, no, I thought I, I well, I, what was the funniest part too is like the fact that I feel like uh, Archie Bradley didn't do that much in the sense of like actually fighting people, but he fell over the railing and he, I think he, I. I I forgot he he got injured. He's out from a little bit now, but but uh, I'm like man. And then also uh, Otani just like trying to p- play peacemaker. Seeing him in the in the brawl is kind of funny, um, and just seeing how much former White Sox and former Cub Ryan Tapera was involved in that. Like he was in the thick of every single like punch that was being thrown, and yeah, it was it was pretty intense. Uh, also, I just like how uh, Mike Trout. He like was he he also wasn't really involved that much. He was really just trying to help out his friend Upton because uh, he was Justin Upton was on the ground for a little bit. So um, that was yeah, it was it, it is definitely uh, not not necessarily like you want to see dudes get hurt, but it is one of the better brawls that I've seen in a while. Just because I feel like most baseball brawls in the past, like I don't know, I mean, as far as I've seen baseball, like I I personally started watching baseball like every day, like since like oh six. So uh, like I feel like I haven't seen that much. Uh, like actual brawling, like I guess like the uh, Jose Bautista one was good. You know, you saw punch actually make contact. But it, I think the the type of brawls that we see nowadays, just guys talking, guys getting split up, and not really doing it. I think one of the ones, if you guys if you guys remember this one, uh, the Chris Young and Derek Lee one, and like where like I think uh, Chris oh, Young, yeah, 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 Chris Young, I think hit Derek Lee in the helmet, if I remember correctly. Either way, you hit him, and then Derek Lee's going. Oh down yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember that. And they're arguing, and it was, but it was like, <laughs> it was just some of the weakest swings I've ever seen in my life. Like I was like, that's this is baseball brawls right here. Like guys like going like backing out and then swinging. It was like I, it looked like they didn't want to hit each other. Is is what is what I'm getting to. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh still uh you know funny and and just interesting to see. But um shifting over to something more uh intense or, or may, maybe more intense, especially leading up to October was the uh the Yankees Astro series. Now they they played uh four games and split two to two and it was a seesaw games that had a combined no hitter. Like that series had everything in Aaron Judge Walkoff. Um in your guys' eyes, uh who is the team to beat in the AL? Uh, I think it's still the Astros until the Yankees prove otherwise because the Astros haven't really been able to get past you or sorry the Yankees haven't been able to get past Houston when they've met in the playoffs. Uh, this is a really, 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 really good Yankees team. No doubt about it. Um, I want to see how Nestor Cortez lasts through the season. But they're hitting the way that they everybody expects them to hit the way they should be hitting, and they're playing just as well on the road. So it's still hard to say that um, they're not the best team. But Houston has stayed afloat, even though Alex Bregman has been so for his standards. And they lost Carlos Correa. Jeremy Pena's fit right in that spot. And Jordan Alvarez has proven that he was never a one a one-time, you know, ESPN first take wonder. So I think that's why Houston is still like the team to me. They they're just they're just so difficult. And and I don't know how much people talk about it, but I remember when Kyle Tucker came in those first, I, I want to say it was two years, he really couldn't hit. He was a good right fielder, but he really could not hit. But last year, he turned it up after being kind of quite, really quiet the first month, killed the Sox in the postseason, and he stayed consistent this year. They moved uh, Miles Straw to make room for Ch- uh, Chas McCormick, and again, didn't miss a beat. 
know, Houston is, is a quality team top to bottom. I think they might have one spot in the lineup where they could get somebody who is just a good hitter all the way through. And the Yankees don't have as many holes in their lineup, but I still would take Houston in a seven game series over New York. Yeah, same. I, I, I think, you know, it's hard to go against the defending American League champions. And they, they, they've been here and they've done that for a reason. And as Chris alluded to, you know, Jordan Alvarez has been stellar this season, to say the least. And Bregman, in spite of, you know, getting off to a slow start, you got to believe that as the season goes along, he'll continue to pick it up. The thing that's been the most impressive to me with the Astros is not only losing Correa, but then you, you lose Springer as well, you know, the previous offseason, and to still be able to keep everything afloat in spite of other losses you know, previous years, like because most of that core is not the same as it once was, but still have that talent remain um and keep the, the, the ship going. And what Dusty Baker's been able to do in the wake of everything that transpired, yeah, I, I, I think that they're the team to beat. You know, Christian Javier was amazing on Saturday. You know, he had it all working, seven innings strong, 13 strikeouts um, with that combined no-hitter. I think they had a they had no hit the Yankees offense for what 16 consecutive minutes. Yeah. You know, you yeah. think about and you you think about that that lineup, man, from top to bottom with Mayhew, Judge, Hicks, and Rizzo and all of those guys, man. That's 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 great work from their rotation. And um they they're they're doing a, a great job. Yeah, and it's like as you said, like if taking, you know, Chris said taking the Astros in a seven game series, I agree with that. I mean it's they're they're destined. I think they're destined to play in the ALCS this year or in the ALDS wherever they do. But I think I think the way things are setting up is probably going to be the the LCS. But yeah, they're the, and also as uh, Gabriel, you brought up the pitching a little bit. I feel like a lot of you know their their pitching is underrated. Like people don't talk about their pitching as much as their you know their hitting. And yeah, they did replace Correa with Pena, and they've been able to uh, live without Springer and stuff like that. But the way they've been able to put that rotation together with Javier, you know Valdez. Uh, you know, or Kitty, you know, they got guys that can throw in there. And I mean, not, and we're not even talking about Verlander, you know, so it's like, right. the, the, yeah. So, and, uh, and, you know, for example, like I had on the game with, uh, they're taking on the Mets right now. It's Verlander's dealing. They had, you know, so, and, and the Mets are, you know, one of the best teams in baseball. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things that say, that, not... say that out loud to yourself again. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and the thing is too, with, you know, talking a little bit about the Mets is like the fact that they're doing that stuff still without like Scherzer and, and DeGrom for that most, you know, most of the season. So, um, yeah, well, it's going to be the play, the, the getting closer to October, kind of getting a little more of like a feeling of who's, who's for real, who's the, con and who's our, who's like a real contender, who's a pretender is it's going to get, you know, really, uh, a fascinating to, to, to look into those teams. Uh, as a whole but when we're talking about a team that's kind of on the bubble kind of really uh, uh or if we're talking about a team that's on the bubble kind of like they don't know what's going to happen to them next is probably the Phillies and so like and and Chris mentioned it earlier the fact that you know Bryce Harper got injured um a lot of people are you know he's only out for six weeks now compared to like uh not only but he's out for six weeks but compared to being out for the rest of the season uh the rumors are that he'll be able to come back but some people are still sticking the fork in the Phillies. Uh, what do you What do you guys think? You think they're they're done without Harper, or do you think there's still there's still a chance? In that NL East, with, with New York playing the way that they playing, Atlanta, you know, they're not going down without a fight, as we know. I, I think it's gonna be tough for those guys. 
losing Bryce Harper, you know, the reigning National League MVP, that's that's a big deal, especially when he was gutting it out enough as it is, just trying to make sure that he was keeping his bat in the lineup because with UCL issues in his arm, he's not able to throw. And then, you know, this happens. Granted, you know, you could say that he needed the rest, but to have this on top of the issues with his arm, um, that's that's tough. You know, Kyle Schwarber's going to have to really step up big for them. And granted, you know, they, they played some great baseball thus far through the first 23 games under Rob Thompson, um, the interim manager there in the city of brotherly love. But that, that's that's going to be a big-time injury, man. It's going to be some guys over there that's going to have to really step it up. Real Muto as well, you know, with it, with his bat. And um, that's, a, that's a tough division. So when you got New York and Atlanta in the mix, they're they going to have to play some great baseball going into July and August. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it for them. They've always, they've been able to put together a quality lineup. You know, people don't um, like Alec Baum on defense, and he's not there on defense for sure, but Diddy Gregorius, Reese Hoskins, if he comes back to form, he's got 13 home runs. Kyle Schwarber, oh, I can't stand Kyle Schwarber, but damn, that boy <laughs> can hit it out the ballpark. <laughs> Um, Nick Castellanos was a fantastic get for them, even though he's kind of, he's having a subpar season for him. And uh, like you mentioned, gave JT Rio Muto, who I love, absolutely love, but they're not hitting uh, like gangbusters, which they really need to be to keep up with that division. And if you look in their um, bullpen, which has been the Phillies Achilles heel for so many years, they got Corey Kinnaman, fantastic. They got a good closer. Sir Anthony Dominguez is pitching really well, but Jury's familiar. My he he, I think he's been cooked. Brad Hand, he's definitely been cooked, even though he's having a pretty good year. I don't think it's sustainable for him. You look at the whip throughout the bullpen; it's not great, and they have a lot of guys on the injured list right now. Um, Didi Gregorius is no uh, Gene Segura is on the sixty-day IL, and that's a big that's a big loss for them. So, yeah, like, it's really hard to see them coming back, which if Dave Dabrowski's job was was not safe last year, it definitely can't be safe now if they fire Joe Girardi because he's the guy who comes in, spends money to get winners. He did that with Detroit. He did that in uh, Florida, Miami, and he was supposed to do that with Philadelphia. But, you know, the 17-7 I think win-loss record under the interim manager, Rob Thompson, isn't sustainable. And they got too many guys to go through with New York and Atlanta. So I want the Phillies to do good. For some reason, I like the Phillies, but I don't think it's their year. It won't be their year until they change something up. Yeah, and and, and uh, the thing is, too, is – and we've talked about it on here with, with me and Miles, is just the fact that their defense is just – I mean, it is a joke. Like, like it really is. Like, yeah. I feel like, and it's funny because I have a buddy who's like, uh, also a big baseball fan. He's been watching like all these games, uh, and he'll always, if it's a close game late with the Phillies, he's always tuning in, and he's letting me know. He's like, "Yo, it's a close game in Philly." Like, I got because you never know what's gonna happen. They're gonna take the lead in like the eighth or ninth inning, and then in the in like the bottom of the ninth, they're gonna cough it up. They're gonna give like a walk off. Gonna get a. They're gonna get walked off. So. It's it's uh, entertaining from a neutral perspective, but it is sad to watch just because it's like they really bet on the whole offense first type thing, and it hasn't it hasn't necessarily it, it's worked at times because they've been able to out hit certain teams, they've been able to compete with the Mets offensively at times, 
But yeah, in, in, in 162 games, I just don't think it's going to work out, especially from the pitching side. They just don't have like, I don't know. It, it, it's just not, it hasn't been there. Uh, so um, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be tough. I, it's going to be a tough road regardless, but yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be able to compete with uh, the Mets and, and even the Braves that are, you know, on the rise. So um, we'll see in that end. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap things up there, man. Hey, uh, I really appreciate you, Gabriel, coming out for the first time, and Chris. Uh, we'll have you guys on again some other time because this was really fun. Uh, talk more White Sox for sure. Maybe even a, a little bit of a postseason preview for sure. So uh, thanks guys for coming on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Chris, thanks man. for having me, Saul. Yep. Definitely. All right, for th- appreciate to come back on, Saul. All right, for the At Bat Baseball Podcast presented by War Media. Uh, we hope everyone has a great week. I am Saul Rodriguez. Have a good one.